In this episode, we speak with Jim Donnelly, co-founder of Restore Hyper Wellness. Restore delivers expert guidance and an extensive array of cutting-edge health modalities, such as IV drips and cryotherapy, integrated under one roof. With multiple franchise locations across the U.S., the company is a national presence and leading brand in the hyper-wellness space. Restore was founded in 2015 in Austin, Texas, after Jim used cryotherapy while training for a triathlon. The success of the Austin location accelerated the brand into a franchise entity, and they are planning to have 500 locations by the end of 2024. Prior to founding Restore and after serving in the military, Jim founded and backed multiple ventures. He also co-founded igoyugo.com, a leader in user-generated travel website content, which was later sold to Sabre Holdings Travelocity. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click the subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and always love the opportunity to have these conversations. Very excited for this because it kind of reminds me of one of the first podcasts I did with Baram Akrati, who's the founder of Lifetime, which is also in the health and wellness space. And I noticed you've got a very impressive track record as an entrepreneur. So where I'd like to start is actually two decades ago when you were working for a financial institution Citigroup as a director of marketing, what enabled you to take the leap of faith to become an entrepreneur and start your first company? Yeah, a couple things. Number one, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. My dad was a crazy entrepreneur. We always had the latest and greatest wacky devices. We had a propane powered car, just weird things like that. And by the way, my dad was a failed entrepreneur. Every business he ever started didn't actually become successful. But he taught me a couple of things. Number one, he taught me, don't worry about it. There's no debtor's prison in the US. And as long as you're honest, work hard, do what you say, you can start over the next day. And that was basically the one piece of fatherly advice that my dad left me. And he meant it in all the sweet, nice ways. And then two, my dad had this amazing enthusiasm that no matter how bad things were, he could look at the bright side and look at the opportunity in the negative. And I think I got that from him. And then I started a business when I was in grad school, when I was 21. Part of my MBA was starting a business and doing it as part of the curriculum. Interestingly, you would think it would discourage me. I had to go to into the military and fulfill my commitment. I was literally in ranger school. And the guy that I had hired to run the company while I was in the military stole all the money from all the bank accounts, never to be seen again. So once again, you would think that would be a negative incentive to start another business 20 years ago, but it actually just kind of taught me that there are things that you have to put into place. And at that time, it was so little money. Like this was a college project. It was a tiny little business, but it it was just part of the learning process. So all of the things you do up until the time you start a business are part of the process of learning and, and getting better. And then when I was at Citibank, it was kind of the tail end of the dot-com phase. So every one of my friends started something, some successfully, some not successfully, but it was pretty clear to me that corporate America was not going to be where I wanted to be. So it wasn't even an option like to not go be an entrepreneur. 
So it wasn't one of those agonizing decisions of, oh my God, I'm leaving the safety net of a monthly paycheck or, or biweekly paycheck to start something risky. No, you know, I tell young kids all the time because they, they ask me for entrepreneurial advice. I say, listen, go out and get a pedigree, go get a good education, go work for good companies. And then you always have a place to fall back. Having said that, as an entrepreneur, you shouldn't be thinking about your fallback. You should go head first, dive in. But if you have a little bit of a pedigree, you can always land on your feet. And once again, going back to what my father taught me, the repercussions for not being successful are just really not that big a deal in the United States. Now, it doesn't feel good, certainly not what you, you hope for, but you, you know, you're not crushed by it like in some other countries where if you're a failed entrepreneur, you can literally never do it again. No, I didn't have any doubt that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Matter of fact, the first day I started at Citibank, my best friend now for the last 20 plus years, and I started talking about the business we were going to start in the Citibank conference rooms 24 <laughs> hours within our first day of starting. Got it. And so the first business, it looks like it was a pretty good success. Is it I Go, You Go? Is that the way you pronounce it? Yeah, it was I Go, You Go. And I was a military kid and sort of traveled the world and moved a lot when I was a kid. And uh, travel was a kind of an essential part of my dynamic. And, and I Go, You Go became the world's largest content database of user-generated content. And we had people spending seven hours on average writing these wonderful travel journals, putting up pictures, and really going deep around what they thought was great about a location. And then we had a matching algorithm that would match those travelers with people like them. So the idea was, if you really want to know how to travel, you should get that information from someone who's been there. And that's what IgoYugo was. And it was uh, we won a Webby Award for the top travel site in the U.S. And that led to us being acquired by Travelocity and Saber Holdings. Fantastic. And then you go on to start a series of other businesses. I look at your 2005 to 2010 timeframe as a prolific period. And I'm going off your LinkedIn here. Emerson Joseph, you had real estate developments, you had the rehabilitation of historic properties, and then the Charlotte yeah. Athletic Club. It was this a period of where you just had all these ideas and you wanted to do them as soon as you had the idea? You kind of like had them underway as soon as you thought about something new you could do? Well, there was a construct actually. So I moved to Charlotte from North Carolina after selling I Go, You Go. And, you know, I love Charlotte. Charlotte's a beautiful city. Anyone that complains about Charlotte is, is kind of like, come on, seriously, get a grip. It's a beautiful city. The weather's great. It's near the mountains, near the ocean. And I go on and on. But it was a little boring. It's a banker town. There's a little more conservative bent to it. Khakis, blue blazers. And, you know, I just wanted to live in a place that had a little more spice to it, a little more coolness to it. So I started this company called Pursuit Group. And the goal of Pursuit Group was to make my surroundings more cool, a better place to live. So all of the real estate projects were very boutique-y, interesting projects. All of the retail businesses were literally things that I used in my day-to-day -day life. The Charlotte Athletic Club was a function of there not being a great health club to work out at. And so I, I think our reputation became if there's a quirky, cool project to be done, go talk to Pursuit Group. And I had this really great collection of guys that were super creative and fun-loving and let's go do cool stuff. It seems in every five-year increment, you started something new. Then you start Kin Valley and then you start a Restore in 2015. So maybe what we do is we jump ahead and talk about Restore Hyper Wellness. 
It is fascinating. You've scaled incredibly quickly. Maybe we start with a definition of, of hyper-wellness. Yeah, so hyper-wellness is this aggressive pursuit of doing all the things that you can do in your life to be proactively healthy and well. That's very different than the typical approach to healthcare in our country. It's a sick care model that, to be quite frank, is broken. So this proactive approach is something that we think keeps people healthier and avoids the need to ever enter the sick care model to a certain degree. And that's been the case. I get customers that come to us all the time and, and they have the same story typically. I was sick. I went to a doctor. Doctor didn't know a lot about what I was going through. Didn't have good solutions. Threw a bunch of pharmaceuticals at me. The pharmaceuticals tended to create other even worse side effects. And I was just looking for something that was more natural, more sustainable, more affordable. And that's where Restore came in. So everything we do is sort of a seminal wellness modality. You know, it's, it's hot, it's cold, it's pressure, it's light, all of these things that your body responds to naturally in meaningful ways, but that don't have side effects. And to be quite frank, we could make affordable. So the mission of Restore was to make hyper-wellness affordable and accessible for everyone. And what made you kind of embark on this new mission? It seems like everything you've done in the past was a bit different, you know, from travel to the various... Yeah. Kind of projects under pursuit to Ken Valley and now to this franchise model? Yeah, I think most people fall into one of two camps. Most people tend to build on an expertise and just add layer upon layer on the same expertise. That was not my path. I like to take a base level of competency and apply it to the things that mean something to me. And they can be very different categories. They can be very different things. But the same sort of philosophy, the same approach works. And so I've taken that path. So I, I like to say I'm not great at anything, but I'm good at a lot of things. I think I'm really good at building a culture. I think I'm really good at creating a consumer proposition that's appealing. I think I'm pretty good at attracting talent and, you know, putting the pieces together. And I think for a startup entrepreneur, those are the things that certainly follow you from business to business, no matter what the category is. And I like to say Restore is what people know me for most now because it's the latest. But I go, you go at the time was very disruptive to the travel category. Pursuit Group was very disruptive on a local level. Restore are very disruptive in the healthcare space. And so the next business I do will also be equally disruptive and something new. That's interesting. So you're already thinking ahead. Do you think there's still room for other ideas for you to pursue? Absolutely. Like I joke with my wife, I've probably got three more five-year cycles in me. And people <laughs> ask me all the time, why would you do that? You've been successful. You've made a lot of money. You have a great life. And, and I simply say, you get to choose what you do in life and you get to choose what the definition of work is. I've never had a company that I've started to run that wasn't a joy to go to every day, that wasn't full of really wonderful people that I cared about, people that I wanted to share my time with. And they all had a mission. They all had a mission that was important to me personally, but also good for the world around me. And I think if you have those ingredients, it doesn't feel so much like work. It feels more like doing the thing that you were meant to do or want to do every day. And so this five-year thing, I do think if you look at your life, five years is kind of how the ebb and flow of life happens. You know, college is four to five years you sort of have four to five years of single life, then you get married and four to five years later, you have a kid and they're little kids, then they're teenagers. And, you, know, you know, I could go on and on. And so this five-year dynamic, I think, is really tied to the way life works. 
you know, for Restore, I was 46 at the time I started that. So if you think about why would I get into proactive health and wellness? Well, because you're starting to hurt. You're starting to not be able to do the same level of high intensity sports that you used to do. You're seeing your parents get sick. You're seeing your grandparents die. And so that all kind of hit me at once and made Restore an obvious thing to do. And when you think about that five-year cycle, do you think about fully exiting or retaining ownership and building a hold co, you know, like a kind of portfolio of companies that you continue to own? I could probably be more sophisticated about that notion of a hold co and portfolio. Part of the problem of jumping from category to category is the portfolio approach doesn't work quite as well. Mm -hmm. But I've definitely held on to something. I still own the Charlotte Athletic Club after 14 years. I own it with other people. They operate it day to day. But that's an example of something I've had for a lot longer than I normally hold on to things. So the idea isn't necessarily that I have to exit every five years. The idea is that I'm not going to be the day-to-day operator after five years. This sort of the day-to-day activity becomes different. It's much more process-oriented. There's less original creation. So, you know, some people are better at that than me. And I always say my superpower is that I'm self-aware. And so I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And, you know, after five years, there are people that like that daily grind a lot more than I do, for instance. Mm -hmm. And do you have like a core team that goes with you from one idea to the next? I always say, if you want to check the quality of an entrepreneur in terms of loyalty and people skills, just look at how many people follow them from business to business. And every business that I've ever done, I've had a significant number of folks follow me. And that's why it gets easier and easier. People think, God, starting a new business every five years, that must be hard. Well, It's not hard when you do have key people that will follow you. It's not hard when you have investors that will follow you that will, like literally, they'll invest in a business I do now based on an idea on a napkin. And it's because there's been a track record of success. I've always worked hard. I've always done the right things. They see the talent that can be attracted. um, And they see that there's a track record of success no matter what category we're in. And so it actually does get exponentially easier to be an entrepreneur if you have a track record of success. Now you have in your investor base, uh, I think they're the key investors, General Atlantic. Had they been with you or been part of your businesses in the past? And tell us a little bit about that partnership and kind of what they bring to the table. Yeah, no, the General Atlantic is a first. Actually, institutional private equity money at that scale is the first time I've done that. It's tended to be angel investors or lower level institutional investors in my previous companies. But Restore is such a big opportunity Clearly, it's the way the world is moving and the top growth equity funds like General Atlantic clearly want to be in that space. And so we had an option of virtually every quality consumer growth equity fund out there, whether it was TPG, General Atlantic, I could name others. We did have our pick of the litter. And I think it's because, once again, the space we're in is a huge opportunity. We had a very attractive business. I don't think you can find too many other companies in the medical space that have been able to scale like we have. Um, It's very hard to scale a medical business at the retail level in the States because every state is like its own country with its own set of regulations. So I think what we did was very unique. And I think that's the kind of thing that attracts a General Atlantic. General Atlantic is unambiguously the cream of the crop. They're in a tier that is rarefied air with a few other top names. And so if you're trying to help society, change society, make society healthier, at some point you do have to bring on a partner that has, number one, the sort of intellectual skills, the financial capacity to sort of be in it 
with you through several stages. The private equity dynamic is, it depends on the day you ask me, and it depends me the question you ask me about it. I think that there have been some very positive things. I've learned a lot. There have also been some other things, like careful what you ask for. If you get $140 million from somebody, don't ever think that it doesn't come with certain strings and other things. And so I've I've learned that for better or worse. And I, I tell people all the time when they ask me, should I go down the private equity route? I said, it just depends. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. It depends on what you're comfortable with. If you have the characteristics of personality A, do it. If you have the characteristics of personality B, don't do it. You'll be miserable. And so it really just depends. You know, I'd watched a, an interview with you and you talked about impact. And this was in relation to what you're doing at Restore. But then I, I kind of hear it again with how you approach your day-to-day and just enjoying the time you have with your team. Can you tell us a little bit more about your overall business philosophy and how you operate on a day-to-day basis? Sure. I mean, I always have certain principles that I think apply to every new business and every culture that you create. Number one, enthusiasm matters. I tend to operate from a place of positivity. I think talent matters. And so I do think we do a good job of attracting really talented people who, by the way, care very deeply about the mission of the company. And so if you have a a great mission, if you have talented people that are enthusiastic, that really do want to make a difference, it's a whole hell of a lot easier to create a great culture and to create great societal impact. I do not think I would be able to start a random retail concept that wasn't doing good for society. I'm not sure that I'd attract the right kind of people. I'm not sure I would be able to intellectually engage on that day to day without getting bored. But, you know, we, we do things like we have a, a Monday morning standup with the entire company and we update everybody through the leadership team and, and through anyone on the team that has something that needs to be shared across the company. And we end it with things like, tell me something good. And so you get a little bit of what's happening in the company. Everybody hears it. Everybody can participate. And we do highlight the good things that are happening. And that tell me something good tends to be about their life, not their work. And so what I always impress upon people, get your priorities straight, you know, your family, your faith, and then work. And I don't care what your faith is, you know, it doesn't matter to me, but whatever your construct is, that in your family should be more important than work. And if you put those kind of people together, once again, they tend to be more passionate. They tend to be more committed to the mission. They tend to have a greater loyalty, a a moral compass that just creates good activity day to day. And that's the kind of place that I want to work at. Curious, do you have or have you developed strategies for recruiting? It seems like you become very adept at bringing in the right people. Are there ways you have found that have been very effective for attracting the right people to your business? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it today is just having a personal network. Once again, I I try to be very vulnerable when I'm recruiting people. I very much want to make sure they understand what working with me will be like. I try to make it feel more like working with me than for me. I try to be very specific about the types of talent that I need. And then I go and ask. And when you have a good network and you've had a great track record and you have a reputation for being very good to people, not just in the short term, but over the long term, and putting their interests before yours, it is actually quite easy to recruit great people. And so what I find is I can always get enough of a foundation of people that it then snowballs, particularly if you get a little bit of traction in the actual business. 
Got it. And it looks like you now live and operate out of Austin. How does that compare to, to Charlotte? I mean, Austin's the live music capital of the world. It's more entrepreneurial. Texas is its own kind of thing. I, I mean, I've lived all over the world. I've lived in 15 states, Europe multiple times, Asia. And there's no place I'd rather be than Texas. I think there's a sort of this feeling of individualism and it's on you. Go, go make it happen. Austin is a is sort of a magnet for great people, people from California, New York, all over the country. They want to live in Austin and be here. And then you got a great university, the University of Texas, that attracts great, smart kids and they want to stay here. And I think there's some crazy stat, like there's 150,000 college kids within 15 miles of Austin. And so you, you always got this really vibrant place that's got talent bubbling up that wants to continue to be here. And then you've also got some great companies here. Um, it used to be, they, I forget what they called them, the Dell Unieres or something like all the folks that had sort of off of the back of Dell made money. But now that didn't even rise up. There's so many great companies here. There's there's this real startup ecosystem. Anything you need, you can find here. The weather's good. It's an easy place to run and operate a business. And it's a super fun city. And as much as I like Charlotte, Austin fit me a little bit better. And I did get my undergrad here, so I had some exposure to it. Got it. Well, we're coming up on time. I have two final questions. These are questions I ask most of my guests. One is, can you tell us about a person you may have already answered this in the front part of the conversation, but a person who has had a profound influence on you. Well, I mean, obviously I threw out my dad. He had the greatest influence on me, but I think it's been more a collective influence. You know, once again, growing up and moving every year, living all over the world. I go back to my dad had a propane powered car. And when you travel across the country, and we did two to four times a year, we'd drive literally across the whole country, wherever we were to Charleston, South Carolina. And you'd have to stop to get propane. And it's not at a gas station. It's like at a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. And you'd pull up and it'd be dinner time. And the family would invite you in and they would say, have dinner with us. And as a kid, I'm kind of like, oh my God, I just want to get on the road. Please, can we get, the, you know. But now looking back, it was all that exposure to different points of view, different people, different philosophies that my dad embraced that kind of had an impression on me. So I think I learned little tidbits from lots of people. You know, my dad was stationed at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey. I was surrounded by kids from Iraq and Iran and all over the world because their parents were there learning a different language for their military career. And so all of those little collective things, I think, were super important to make me the person I am today. Last question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? At this point, honestly, I am more passionate about philanthropy and helping society than I am about anything. One cause that's super important to me, and I, I get choked up if I talk about it, but I'm super passionate about supporting causes around cancer. My dad recently died of cancer. I've just seen it wreak havoc and destroy families and, and take people way too soon. And I always say, if I had gotten hold of my dad 20 years earlier with Restore, I think I could have saved him. And, and so I just don't ever want that to happen to anyone else that I know and love. And, and I want to spread that so it doesn't happen to anybody else. So I, I do devote time and money and resources towards causes around cancer. And in my dad's case, it was sarcoma, which is a very rare form of cancer. So I support the sarcoma charities and do a variety of things around that. But at the end of the day, honestly, if there's a good cause and someone approaches me the right way, I tend to try to support it. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and before we conclude, because we did mention, again, Restore, and maybe we can cap this off by telling us about how Restore improves health span. You know, we, there's a gap between health span and lifespan. And Restore, is, as I understand it, is trying to really extend that health span by just improving, you know, folks' overall life in the later years. You know, like a lot of times people focus on lifespan and that's just the number of years you live. To me, that's a more arbitrary thing and lots of things affect your lifespan. So you don't have as much control over that, but health span you control and everybody intellectually understands that if you eat better, you move better, you do a variety of different things. If you expose your body to cold, it's a, it's a super healthy stressor. Like resistance exercise, I could go on and on. I could list a hundred things, but we've boiled it down to nine different things that we call components of hyperwellness. And if you do these things, you almost inevitably improve your health span. Once again, I, you look around, over 40% of Americans are obese. I don't think too many people would debate the idea that if you reduced your body fat when you are overweight, that you're going to be healthier. Well, now compound that with five or six other things, and it, it becomes pretty apparent that you can extend health span. I think it's one of the things that's interesting about Restore. Every age cohort interacts with Restore in the same way. They spend the same amount of money. Gen X, who are way younger than baby boomers, for instance, spend the same amount of money. Why would they do that? They have the information that shows them that if you do certain things, you're going to be healthier. It's going to increase your health span. And they've all seen their parents and grandparents not necessarily do those things. So they, they basically raise their hand and say, I do not want that. I want this better option. And I do fundamentally believe Restore's improving health span by many years. Now, it's difficult to say that. I can't say that in a marketing message. I stay away from lifespan because that's also difficult to prove. But I think if you ask the typical Restore customer who's engaged on a regular basis, they would fundamentally tell you their life is better day to day. And, and the idea is like, because it's better day to day, they keep coming back. And it's that long-term interaction with Restore that leads to the longer term health span gains. Excellent. Well, that's a great note to end on. Jim, want to thank you again for taking the time. I, I know you have a very busy schedule, so I very much appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me and giving me the latitude to ramble a little bit. I always enjoy it. I'm humbled when people ask for my opinion. And anytime, I'm always happy to chat. Thank you.